Hello, we are Polling Partners and this is Brand New Thinking. Brand New Thinking is our platform to bring people, experience, industry, colleagues and friends together to share ideas and generate fresh thinking around branding. Over the coming episodes, you'll hear us doing just that, in conversation with industry leaders from the creative and commercial worlds. As a brand consultancy, we believe our best work happens when we challenge existing ways of thinking. So for more, head to politicpartners.com, find us on social media, or search hashtag brand new thinking. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to our second Brand New Thinking podcast. My name's Sean, I'm the founder of Brand New Thinking and a partner at Pollock & Partners, which is a brand consultancy. Um, whilst I had the dubious honour of hosting our debut podcast, uh, today I'm going to very much be in co-pilot mode because in the driving seat we have the excellent Sophie Lawrence of KKS Advisors. Sophie, can I ask you to say a few words on who you are and what you get up to at KKS? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Sean. Um, and I'm really excited to be part of this discussion. Um, so I'm a senior associate with a growing global advisory firm called KKS Advisors, and our mission is to reshape markets. What this means to us is creating a world where businesses and investors are making decisions for the long term and being much more holistic in their approach to creating value. To bring that to life a bit, I'm currently working with three of the largest foundations in the United States who are all experiencing the challenge of how to direct their money towards good outcomes for environment and society. Thanks, Sophie, and it's great to have you on board. Today's discussion follows on from our first episode where we talked about how to be good, both for brands and individuals. Today, we want to focus on finance as a force for good, which can be as big as fighting climate change, ethical investing and the finance sector as a whole or as personal as our pensions and bank accounts. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's a great time for us all to be exploring this topic. Um, Research is actually telling us that more of us than ever before are wanting to direct our savings and investments towards the good of society and the wider world. And according to a recent Triodos survey, that includes 55 to 68% of us, depending on which age group we sit in. But there appears to be a disconnect between those aspirations and what we are actually observing in the marketplace, with further research showing that only 9% of us have already invested in this way, and almost three quarter of us are saying that we haven't been offered these ethical investments. So accessibility appears to be one of the barriers. Well, hopefully we can bring some clarity to this subject today uh, and also start to create some momentum for change. Our focus on the episode is investing for good. And we want to look at that from both an individual perspective. So what can I do with my savings, with my pension, my ISA? And where can I start having a positive impact as an individual? But we also want to look at the bigger picture and ask how much funding is available for good causes, whether that's renewable energy projects, social impact bonds, more on those later. And look at you know what's, what's being done to make this area of investment more accessible to everyday savers and to you know, drive change in the financial sector more widely. Yes, I think it's a topic that many of us attempted to bury our heads in the sand over. And I think we've been conditioned to be quite passive about our relationship with our finances, normally trusting others to make these decisions on our behalf. We're also accustomed, I think, to low levels of transparency about where our money is invested by a bank or pension provider. But with technology enabling much more consumer-friendly and transparent products, I think we are slowly waking up to the fact that we as individuals can take control of them, whether that is demanding more transparency about where our pension is invested or putting some of our savings aside into an ethical ISA. Research is predicting accelerated growth of this industry as this new generation of socially conscious investors see increases in their incomes. And Sean and I are really lucky to be joined by some stellar panellists today to dissect this topic with us. 
Whitney, Seb, Lauren and Bruce um, are all with us and I'd really like to hand over to them all now to tell us a bit about who they are, what they do um, and what drives them personally. So, uh, Bruce, can you kick us off, please? Um, I'm Bruce Davis. I'm Managing Director of Abundance Investment. Uh, We're a crowdfunding company that invests in renewable energy and socially useful projects in the UK. Um, Our investors invest from £5, and they do so through an online service, um, which is a regulated crowdfunding firm. Um, and so far we've raised about £75 million for, across those different projects. Um, and investors have been getting returns from wind turbines, solar parks, um, investing into recycling companies, and most recently um, looking at uh, new forms of uh, energy recycling and so on. Great. And Lauren? Uh, hi, I'm Lauren, and I work at Share Action on a pension power campaign. Uh, Share Action is a charity which promotes responsible investment. Our mission is to unleash, unleash the positive potential of the mainstream investment system, so no mean feat. Um, our pension power campaign is especially important because as individuals, our pension is often our biggest asset, unless we are lucky enough to own our own home. Um, after we invest in our pension and our employer puts money in, this pension is invested into equities, which are shares of companies and bonds, which is a form of debt and can be government debt or corporate debt. Uh, Commonly, all these investments are not very transparent and most people don't really understand them. Um, That's why Pension Power was born, to help educate people and engage them on their pension. Great, thank you. And Whitney? So I'm um, Whitney Thomas and I work for Europe's leading sustainable bank, Triodos. Um, Triodos Bank was founded in 1980 for the sole purpose of connecting savers and depositors with organizations that have a positive impact on people and the planet. Um, My first career was in investment banking and then I worked in the charity sector both in the UK and internationally um, before I was lucky enough to be able to combine the two at Triodos. I've worked at Triodos for over 12 years now, and in that time frame, I've really seen a huge shift um, in some of the topics and the themes that we're going to be talking about here today. And I've recently launched um, the Triodos crowdfunding platform where individuals can make direct investments um, into social and environmental organizations. Great. Thank you. And Seb? Hi. So so my name is Seb Below. I'm a partner and head of research at a company called Web Asset Management. Um, We are a boutique investment business that is solely focused on investing in companies that are providing solutions to sustainability challenges, both environmental and social. So these are global listed companies, large companies. Um, The reason I'm involved is I, I studied environmental science and technology, so my background is very much in the environment. And rather like other people on the panel, I believe that markets and companies can be a very positive force for sustainability. Um, so that's one reason I'm involved. I'm also involved because I think it, I would lo- I want to help people, savers, investors benefit from the shift that we're seeing in the economy to a low carbon, more sustainable economy. And I think people should be able to benefit from those changes as investors.
I think for us at Triodos, we define it as investing in the real economy. So, you know, investing in, you know, real companies, real projects that are working to leave the world a better place. So, I mean, that, that's kind of a simplistic way of looking at it. But um, I think it's really important to draw that distinction because, I mean, we're now 10 years on um, from the financial crisis of 2008. And, and there was lots of complex reasons why that happened. But a lot of it had to do with lots of financial engineerings and lending to things that we're propping up other things. So I think it's important to think about it. It's, you know, it is investments um, that are into companies that are doing things that are um, good for all of us and that have a positive impact on us. Yeah, I mean, I think this has been, a, I completely agree with that. The, you know, there's been a change over the last 10 years from seeing a lot of this space as being about not what you don't invest in, the sort of ethical investment is not investing in certain mm -hmm. areas of the economy. And what we've seen over the last 10 years is the emergence of a sector that you actively want to invest in because they are making a positive impact. And that's a, a profound change, really, in, in what this sector has to offer in terms of uh, both uh, you know, the, the actual impact in the real world. You know, it's not just about minimising the negative, it's much more about maximising the positive. If we look at what's driving that shift from ethical investing and avoiding bad companies towards impact investing and investing for good. What's your sense of where that demand, that energy is coming from? I think it's a bit, it's a, a latent demand. So people, you have to sensitize people, but when you do, then they start to realize things are possible. So I think we were quite, um, we were almost sort of immunized by a number of years of essentially the financial sector not really covering itself in glory in terms of the way it acted. We used to talk about the actual products themselves being toxic, let alone what they invested in. Um, I think people got quite cynical then about finance. So actually really what you're doing is saying that cynicism might well be misplaced. You're kind of assuming that finance can only work in one way. And I think, you know, in terms of investing for good, that rather implies there's a sector called investing for bad. And um, actually, what we're talking about here is about, uh, as, as Whitney said, about the real economy and investing with a purpose. And if you apply purpose as a test, you're then required to make certain judgments in terms of the outcome of your investment beyond profit. Um, now, that doesn't mean to say that you make less profit, but you account for the benefits that you create in a different way. And you no longer kind of uh, if you like, maintain the idea that somehow money is morally neutral, you start to realise that it is a moral choice how you invest your money. And I think when you do that with people, then people generally are moral. They want to do the right thing. That's quite encouraging to hear, that people generally want to do the right thing with their money when they're empowered to do so. I wonder if this is part of a bigger shift away from trusting other people to manage our money on our behalf and towards us being personally more involved in both the financial as well as the ethical or moral aspects of where that money is invested. And, and I think that's one of the big shifts we've seen in the last 10 years is that what 2008 did um, was kind of wake people up to the fact that, you know, their money, which was in banks or in, you know, investments in, in shares, you know, it, it had an impact and what was it doing? And so I think it's that sense of connection. I mean, all investments have an impact. It's just about being really transparent so that people are aware what the impact of their money has, helping people reconnect with that. And then given the choice and given the opportunity, you know, people will tend to want to choose the ones that are having a positive, you know, impact or more positive impact on the world. 
Absolutely. I think there's a big kind of financial argument to all this as well. You know, um, you know, at Share Action, we promote responsible investment, which means when investors take account of environmental, social and governance issues. So these, you know, when you're looking at a company, you're not just looking at their kind of monthly, quarterly returns. You're looking at whether they look after their workers, whether they look after the environment. And, you know, only in the last few years, I mean, this year, Carillion, you know, investors had actually looked into that company and looked at their governance they would have seen the risks and the financial risks. So it's definitely about doing the right thing. And also, we're going to lose money if you keep investing in these companies. And in fact, there's one company that claims they saved their investors' money because they did exactly that. So Aviva claimed that they, they took their equity investment out of Carillion because they looked at the governance mm-hmm. issues and didn't like what they saw. So it's actually becoming now part of being a good investment firm is that you look at the ESG mm-hmm. as the acronym would be, environmental, social and governance issues of a firm. Because if you don't, you don't spot because it's possible with financial engineering to hide a lot of things. Mm. You don't spot really what's going on under the bonnet. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I think we're still at quite a nascent stage, but I think one day we will be seeing those kind of non-financial factors just completely integrated into how we look at the valuation or you know the the health of a business i think that's that's where we're we're really going so so sort of really bringing this sort of into the practical kind of realm where specifically can people turn to for platforms products investment opportunities that can help them to have this meaningful social environmental impact through their savings i don't know whitney maybe you want to sort of start us off with with some of the the sort of things that triados have, have got available yeah absolutely i mean i I think it's that it's, it's it's making it easy for people that's really important so it's for people to understand that this is within their power this is their money this is their pensions this is their savings um, everyone you know might might have a specific goal in mind so for some people it's just about dealing with their day-to-day money um, so looking at where they hold their current account um, you know ethical consumer did a big piece um, earlier this year looking at all the different current account providers and kind of rate you know rating them in terms of of how people are using their money. So that's a great, you know, place to kind of start, to kind of look at the market. Um, for some people, they might be saving towards buying a first house or, um, you know, have, have other kind of savings goals. Um, and that's going to open up kind of a whole you know, different world of looking at ISAs maybe. Um, and again, trying to see, you know, which providers out there are really transparent with what they are doing with that money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think starting with some of the tools that people have, you know, using the web and using it, some of these organizations which are kind of rating, I think is a really good place to start. Um, I mean, pensions, y- you know, again, it's something which for a lot of people they feel quite detached from. You know, it's just this kind of thing that's done for them or on their behalf. So I think there's a whole kind of education for people to realize this is your pension. And um, and and so just, just kind of asking your pension provider, you know, what, what funds am I invested in? And then what do those funds invest in? So I think the beginning for a lot of people is just to start somewhere and just start asking questions. Um, and, and I think for a lot of us, anything related to finance is a bit daunting, so we tend to ignore it. Um, and so I think it's a little bit like trying to change your diet or trying to exercise, don't try to do everything all at once. You know, start with something. Start with who are you banking with or start with who has your ISA money or start, you know, start with your pension and then kind of, you know, pick away at it as you go. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that that almost kind of getting groups together of people who are sort of talking about it and like all kind of navigating this market together is a really good idea. It's something that Sean and I have actually talked about, <laughs> about doing off this podcast. And actually, I think this sounds very similar in the way to the way that you set up Pension Power as well, Lauren. And I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about how you're helping uh, people sort of you know, demand questions from their pension provider and, and think about the new responsibilities that really come now that we have auto-enrolment and, and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, so as I've said, your kind of pension is one of your biggest assets. And, you know, you might be thinking about the environment in the way that you cycle to work or try and eat vegetarian or be an avid recycler. And yet most the kind of typical pension part is nearly 15% invested in oil and gas. So, you know, immediately you're kind of your values may be completely misaligned. Um, and in addition, for a young person, you know, retiring in 50 years, those investments also maybe aren't the best financially either. Um, and, you know, it's not just the environment. Our recent auto-enrolment um, pensions reports found that six out of nine um, provide pension providers don't have a policy on excluding weapons, seven out of nine don't have a policy on tax avoidance, and these are, you know, big kind of societal issues. Therefore, you know, exactly as Whitney said, it is all about asking those questions to start off with whether it's your pen maybe first your pensions manager someone in your workplace who at least find out who your pensions are with uh, and then ma many pension providers do offer, call offer an ethical option so you can have a look into that and you know kind of if you're feeling comfortable about the investments then you can quite easily switch for example nest you can just log on to your on online account and switch so it's really easy and um, if you don't like what you see then that's the time to get in touch with share action and we can kind of help you navigate um, a bit further there are also, there are two very, well, there are, there are more than two, but there are two platforms that people can go to that do a rating service themselves. It's for free. You just go onto the website and you can browse through the different options. So one is called 3D Investing, which people can use, and there's another called FX as well. Uh, and th these are designed as, as um, very easy, accessible uh, websites where people can go on and review the different kind of banking options there are or the investment options and identify which are the ones that are most highly rated by these third-party experts. That's really great and I think we can link to some of these kind of resources and sort of third-party um, sources in the in the show, show notes. notes absolutely. Yeah. I've always wanted to say that <laughs> after listening to so many podcasts. <laughs> It's great to be, uh, you know, as well as posting them in the show notes, it's just great to, you know, be able to tap into the minds here. And, you know, some of the people listening to this will probably, as, as you've hinted, want to bury their heads in the sands and not have to think about these issues. But it really sounds like it is, you know, increasingly part of being a responsible adult, being aware of where your finances are invested and then taking that one step further and starting to think about the impact they have in the wider world. Yeah, I mean, I would go even further than that. I think people can be excited about this. I mean, maybe that sounds a bit nerdy, but, you know, I, I really do. I mean, this is, you know, this is a way in which you can have a really, you can invest in really interesting projects that you can feel good about. You know, it's not about burying your head in the sand. It's about actually being enthusiastic about it. I think we should aim higher than just, you know, you know, you can get by, but actually feel feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I took all of my uh, investments and basically put them into the green projects that we've got on the platform. So my pension went from being five pensions that were all performing, according to the FTSE at that time, pretty awfully, um, and I put them all into renewable energy projects. So it, it, I'm not 
you know, we would never recommend that uh, as directors of our business. We decided we'd put our money where our mouth is. And, um, you know, I just put 100% of my pension into green energy. Actually, it's done pretty well um, because it's not uh, what I'm investing in there is not the sentiment of uh, traders in a stock market that I don't understand. I'm investing in things I can look at and actually go and visit like a wind turbine. Yeah. Um, if I drive along the M4, my pension is being generated by a wind turbine just above it. Um, so... Those sort of things, I think you can, in other words, there's quite a long way you can go. It's not just a case of, well, this is something I can do and I can feel good for having done one thing. You'll find as you get into it, you can do more and more. So I think ISA is on the investment side is quite a good way to start to get into it. Um, you know, the UK launched a new form of ISA that allows you to get into these types of projects, these smaller scale projects where you are choosing what you want to invest in much more directly. Um, and you know, while that shouldn't be for all your money, it gives you a sense of how this works. And then people start to sort of work their way through to other types of things. So the product I use is a something called a SIP, which you know, most people won't have heard of because it's something actually that older people tend to have. Um, Self-invested pension is when you've sort of taken all your pension pots and you want to do it yourself. Um, so I use my SIP to invest into my platform. Um, and that gives me that will be my pension my pension will be green energy so i'm taking a risk on that i might not get as much money for what i'm doing but i'm i'm doing it in a way that i feel is actually then gonna when i get my pension um that i'm not sitting in a world that isn't worth spending the money in absolutely i think there's there's an interesting point here as well in that that we can feel more connected to the investment that we make and i think that there's something that's really powerful about this for me than some of the things i've been looking into very community focused and you're actually able to see you know the impact firsthand and probably have more transparency in in the kind of documentation but you know often it could be a community center or renewable project that that you you have as part of your you know everyday life you you kind of witness that particular investment so i think that like you said seb you know that gives you and that added satisfaction, you know, you're you're actually getting a really, um, you know, you know, great feeling out of, of making investments. Like it can save you money. I mean, if you know, um, we worked with the government last year um, on something called the Green Finance Task Force, which was mm-hmm. trying to get government and particularly inside government, um, the Treasury, who previously had been, if not cynical, slightly deaf to climate change. Um, and when the Bank of England came out and said this is the biggest risk for the financial system, the Treasury started to listen. And I think you know one of the things coming out of that is people like Barclays are now offering a better deal on mortgages if your home is of a better energy efficiency rating because they feel that makes that overall, that mortgage is lower risk to the bank and you should get some benefit for that. Now, it's not huge amounts, but actually over the life of mortgage adds up to quite a bit. Um, so... Actually, what we're seeing there is that's then encouraging, hopefully, further down the line, home builders to build homes which are more energy efficient, therefore more affordable. And actually for the people who are listening to this podcast who are in the younger end of the audience, actually potentially even able to buy um, those homes um, because of that. So we're trying to, you know, in in that respect, there's a kind of win-win. The green side is sometimes, you know, we're not talking about Something like an organic mushroom costs you more. <laughs> this is really about actually a better way of doing things, a more efficient way of doing things. Um, the fact that it's sustainable doesn't mean that it's you know something that only the wealthy can participate in. I think the element of um, transparency is really important, and I don't think we can say it too many times. You know, I think I think part of the thing that puts people off the investment sector and finance is this sense of 
jargon and that it's very opaque and difficult to understand. So the point that Bruce was making around these direct investment opportunities and what you were saying, Seb, about, you know, people can actually get quite excited about it if they understand it, you know. So so I think that's what sometimes puts people off is, is just thinking, well, I don't quite understand. There's the pension, there's the wrapper, there's the fund manager, there's, it, you know. So... What I would, you know, advise people is just to start with the bit that they understand, you know, whether it be their current account. Um, and, you know, with us at Triodos Bank and your banking app, you can actually see where your money is going and you can see, you know, what are the projects and organizations that we're lending to. Or with some of the crowdfunding platforms, you get that direct sense of connection, of whether it's investing in a in a community-owned wind turbine and you can physically, you can go see the wind turbine. They'll have open days. You can go and be, you know, be part of it or whether you're in investing in a charity that's helping to house people with a learning disability. You know, it's really tangible. And I think that is the way to get people reconnected and to get people to care um, is to is to try to have these investments that are into real things and that are tangible and that you can see and you can feel. Um, and then I do think it can get exciting and a little bit addictive because then one thing leads to another and next thing you know, they are ringing up their pension provider and, you know, having a difficult conversation with them and, and trying to understand what's happening there. I completely agree. And I think whilst I've talked about some of the negative things pension providers are doing, a lot of them are also doing really positive stuff, which would be great if they talked about more. And Nest, who I mentioned before, the National Employment Savings Trust, are big supporters of the living wage. So getting the companies that they're invested in to pay the living wage. Now, that could literally, you know, Nest have 7 million members. So that work, I think the members would love to hear about because it could literally affect what they're earning. So, yeah, trying to kind of bring that circle out and bring out these positive stories of change, I think, really helps. People. It sounds. It sounds like there's a really important role, in, you know, for emotion, narrative, storytelling. You know, even even brands helping us sort of navigate navigate the market a little bit, which is you know maybe something again that's not from you know traditionally what we associate with the finance sector, which is encouraging for me as a brand consultant anyway. <laughs> Um, I think also there it's kind of challenging the norms again because it's it's thinking about kind of more systems thinking and actually how can I collaborate instead of always competing because actually that can be really mutually beneficial um, and, and getting the story out can can kind of kind of spread like that. Um, I'm just thinking of sort of the B Corporation movement, mm-hmm. which um, some of our listeners might be familiar with, which is is really this kind of business as a force for good, which I know several of the members around the table are, are sort of representing um, as sort of B Corporations. Um, and I think something that's really positive about that as a, as a kind of movement is, um, you know, that idea of collaboration over competition. And actually, we can all help each other to, to sort of find innovative ways to, to make things work uh, better. So, I just thought it was, yeah. Well, um, the, the UK has moved from being very uh, uh, laissez-faire about climate change to having an industrial strategy which has got clean growth, as it's called in their in their language, at the heart of it, um, which is quite a big shift. Um, I think previously, if you'd sold the idea of a clean growth strategy, you, you wouldn't have got very far in the meeting in the government departments. Um, and within that, there's quite a lot of things that they want to see happen. I think what we, we're still waiting to see actually what those policies in practice are going to be. And we're told by the end of the year, we'll start to see stuff coming through. They will have an effect. You know, When governments sort of get, get behind, get their shoulders to the wheel, they can make things happen. Um, what's interesting, I think the biggest sort of revolution we've had was actually driven by the industry itself, which we had with offshore wind, where they basically sat down together about five years ago and planned out how they were going to get offshore wind to be cheaper and competitive with uh, new gas generation. And they did it. 
it is now cheaper, and that's changed the economics for all energy companies. Um, and and in that process, they changed their name as well. They went from Dong, which is Danish oil and natural gas, to Ørsted. So there's sort of you know they completely changed the whole ethos at the same time. Now that I think is that's quite interesting. That has moved the needle quite a lot in terms of um, being able to switch coal off during the summer, um, and and other things which are beneficial to the UK's contribution. Um, where we're we're still waiting, and I think you know uh, with the Brexit uncertainty, we'll have to wait until March to find out what that actually means in terms of UK companies then taking that technology and helping other countries with that shift and that transition. Um, I think we're still a little bit behind in our thinking on that. So that you know, basically, how would we support someone that wants to take a technology like a recycling technology to China, for example? Because um, actually, a lot of our own emissions, the stuff from we consume. You know, we don't count them in our bank account of climate change. We, they get offshored to somewhere else. Um, and I think that you know, increasingly we're not going to accept that. We're going to want to know, and it comes back to that data point, mm. the, the total impact of what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that point is, yeah, we'll see some things coming through. But at this point, it, it's more that in principle the government is listening. Um, we'll then see what in practice they actually do. Yeah, um, I mean, literally yesterday, the Department for Work and Pensions uh, published a regulation which will make pension funds take account of environmental social governance issues and specifically climate change, which is just excellent. I think, you know, this will, the pension schemes which are already looking at this, the likes of Legal and General, who have their Future World Fund, it will push them to go even further. And the ones which, you know, in the past have kind of been like, oh, this isn't, this is an ethical issue, we don't need to worry about making returns. Actually, no, you have to look at these issues because they're financial and because you members care about them. So it's really positive now that pension schemes will have to look at these things. Mm. It's, a, it's a very interesting time because there's an awful lot of uh, policy work going on. The, the European Commission's got a whole task force, a whole re- you know slew of potential regulation, the British government, the standards bodies are all weighing in as well. I mean, for somebody who's, who's spent 20 years, you know, kind of trying to get government or encouraging government to get more involved, and now I'm slightly horrified <laughs> by what might happen. It, you know, it feels positive. I think the thing that DWT, the Department of Work and Pensions has done is, is fantastic. But I do worry that there will be you know, regulators can regulation can have unintended consequences. So I'm, 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 I think it's a great place to be, a good problem to have, perhaps. But I think we also have to be a little bit cautious about where this ends up. And I think there will be unintended consequences that come as a result of standards not being quite strong enough or not or not flexible enough. And you know that this is a very rapidly evolving sector. Environmental technologies are changing all the time. And if we get regulation that sets in stone what's considered to be a, you know, quote unquote, a green technology, that might mean that actually new technologies aren't able to access funding in the way that we might think that they should because the standard isn't keeping up mm. with the technology. So um, it's, it's an exciting time, but also, you know, a slight nervousness that, that things could go awry a bit as well. But I think people's minds have been focused. I think you're right. It's more than an ethical issue, but it's for some parts of the finance industry, it's actually existential. So um, the thing that really hit home, and I think this is why those recommendations, the EU ones, came through so quickly, is effectively the the insurance industry stood up in front of government and said, we cease to exist beyond three and a half or four degrees of climate change. And that focused minds. That wasn't like, oh, we can deal with this, which is often what they're sort of used to hearing from Mm -hmm. business. It's like, no, no, we won't be here. 
um, because there won't be enough money in the world to ensure all the risks that are going on. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, that that kind of shocked people, um, whereas previously perhaps we'd said, well, we want to mitigate climate change or we want to aim mm-hmm. for a two degree. You know, they're saying if we overshoot that and it goes wrong, things that we take for granted won't be here. And governments take that very seriously because actually that's the one thing we actually want the governments to do is to make sure things work. And when you tell them that things won't work, they have to do something about it. And I think that that rhetoric didn't come from um, a sort of yogurt-knitting hippie. It came from the head of responsible investment at Aviva. So that doubly scared them because they're used to being told that the world's coming to an end by people, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, since the 60s, that, that this is a, we're on the wrong track. But actually, when the, someone in a suit from the city saying this is an existential crisis for the city, it focused minds. And that's why I think we're now starting to see change. I think that's an interesting point because I think a lot of the, you know, some of these, um, you know, climate risks that have seemed quite abstract to a lot of us have become a lot more present. Um, and, you know, using the example of the US, I know that the sort of increase in extreme weather has really, you know, forced minds to think that this this isn't something we can, you know, delay or we can, you know, forget about anymore because actually it's having such a kind of catalytic effect on on sort of short term um, you know, stock price or whatever else. So I think that's a really interesting point about just becoming much more present uh, an issue on this environmental side in particular. I agree with everything that's been said, but I think it's important to also think about inequality. So yeah. we've talked a lot and concentrated a lot on the environmental side, which is, you know, which is very close to us at Trudos. But, but I think the issue of rising inequality, and in particular, has become even more pronounced, um, you know, in the last six or seven years, you know, in this so-called financial recovery. And it's actually people who have money, who have assets, who've done very well, and those who don't, um, who actually have to work for a living, you, you know, who aren't kind of sharing the gains from the recovery. So I do think there is a continued role to play for government and for us as citizens, you know, to continue holding government to account and to think about, you know, what is the world that we want to live in um, and what do we want it to look like? Um, And for most of us, you know, when they think about it, it is a more equal, you know, society. And so I think, you know, in this country in particular, housing is a massive issue. Um, And I think, you know, that is a place where all of us as, you know, investors, we have a positive role to play around, you know, making more affordable um, housing available and, and, you know, looking at how we can start to boost, you know, social housing stock, etc. So, I think, I think, yeah, th- there is just this bigger picture um, where I-, I do think we need to continue to hold um, hold the people, you know, in power to account. And you can't actually divorce it completely, yeah. you know, from the financial system and what's going on. I mean, all of these things, you know, are really um, interwoven and connected. Yeah. And that's an interesting point because I think you've got the kind of local issues that are relevant to people. But then I wondered also, you know, we've had the sustainable development goals have been launched as well. Um, And I think we're seeing, you know, a lot of people using that as a guiding compass, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, companies or investors to really kind of think, okay, this is my sort of framework for all the things that we need to contribute to. Um, I just wonder whether that become relevant in in any of of your roles. Yeah. The SDGs yeah. specifically. Mm. I think they've been very helpful in in, um, in helping people focus on, again, these positive things. What can companies do positively as opposed to just the negatives? Mm. Um, they aren't, though, they weren't written as uh, a toolkit for investors. They are, and some of these goals are very societal, very high level, peace and justice, 
in you know um, no poverty. You know they're very very high level a lot of them. So they are they are a compass. I think as as you said they are they are a helpful um, um, framework, um, and it's definitely helped change the the narrative around investment to be positive rather than just negative. Um, but there's also you know people are seeing that they're popular and it's a good marketing uh, platform and you know everyone is kind of jumping on that bandwagon and saying well our fund is you know meeting. Two of the three goals, two of the seventeen goals, or whatever it is. So, mm. people talk about SDG washing now. Yeah. Um, the, as, new you know, the new greenwashing. The new greenwashing, and uh, I think you know, in a way, that's a sign of success that this is actually a market that people think has value. But we do need to be cautious and, and somewhat sceptical about some of the claims that yeah. people make. Yeah, and I think that just gets back to the point we talked about at the beginning, which is just about you know people need to understand what people are doing with their money. So again, it's a transparency and, it, and it's for things to not be hidden behind structures and wrappers and language that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm less concerned around kind of greenwashing or social washing. You know, I think if we just continue to plow forward with saying make things transparent, explain to people what they're investing in, you know, people can then make their own decisions and they can then have a look and go, yes, you know, this is a credible proposition. This is just someone who's putting lipstick on a pig, you know, I mean, and, and really be able to tell that difference. Yeah, brilliant. OK, well, it sounds it sounds really exciting. Taking a step back, it, it feels like there's a sort of um, two two strands are coalescing, one being sustainability and green growth emerging from being le less a boutique investment opportunity and it's sort of niche and becoming much more of a mainstream area in which change is happening. But also there's, there seems to be a theme which is around people being responsible citizens and as citizenship has become more intertwined with uh, being a consumer, um, actually, you know, looking at where you're investing, looking at where your financial products are, that, that becoming something that you can do as an individual to really drive change and, and sort of secure the future. Yeah. Of the That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of um, we've got, all got comfortable with the idea that buying products, fairly traded products, organic products, you know, free range products, you can have a positive impact as a consumer. We haven't in the main got to the point where we understand financial products in the same way, but this is what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And then the other point that you make about this coalescing of the kind of the morality almost and the responsibility with just good business, frankly, I mean, that is, again, I think it's tremendously exciting. It means you can actually have your cake and eat it. You know, you don't have to feel that you're giving up return by investing in good things. Um, in, in terms of a final question for you each, um, if I were to ask, what are your reasons to be cheerful? If you look out into the world, you know, what, what gives you cause for optimism? And, uh, you know, alongside that, what, what's one practical thing that people can go away from this and, and do, just as a reminder? Um, I think for me, optimism, reasons to be cheerful. I think that the, the technology, a, a clean green technology, has come on so far in you know a very short period of time, and the world is absolutely changing. And I think that's an enormous source of optimism. Whether it's enough, I don't know, but it's certainly something to be really excited about. I think. Um, and then the other thing is just the awareness as well. Um, We've talked about investment and, and millennials increasingly, you know, thinking about this, more women controlling more assets, also a powerful change in the, in the financial community. But just the, what's happened with plastics after, you know, David Attenborough's program and just how that's caught on around the world. The, the world is kind of ready for these sorts of messages. There's such a 
there's a lot of power in that. And I think that's, again, something to be really optimistic about. I think the um, the thing to do is I, I, people are nervous and want to put their heads in the sand around their investments. But it, it, I don't think once you start, I don't think it's that difficult. Um, and it, as I said at the beginning, you know, it is definitely something that you can feel good about as a consequence. So I would just encourage people to to just start that journey. And I think they'll find that it's not as difficult as they thought it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic. I mean, when I cast my mind back to the way things were 12 years ago when I joined Trudis Bank, I mean, a lot of this stuff was really niche, a bit hippie. You know, people felt like, you know, ethical was just this real kind of values, judgment. I mean, the world has just really moved on. And I just think everything from, you know, demographics to, um, to just the fact that the environmental technology has moved on. And now it's just good business sense. So um, it is happening. There's no sense in fighting it. Um, it you know, it will take time. And, and the question is, are we going to move fast enough? You know, so... Um, so I'm, I am optimistic. I just think we have to continue educating people um, because most of us just aren't, don't, never really learn how to look after ourselves, our finances, etc. So I think there's just a piece that we can't disconnect any of this from just the basics of good financial education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on that, I just think um, starting somewhere and, you know, s- starting with something that's that's the most meaningful to you. I mean, you know, some people aren't lucky enough to have savings or to have a, a pensions, you know but you probably have a bank account so you could start with looking at, at who you bank with and, and and maybe choose to move to a building society or or you know or, or move to us or to someone else where you at least know you know what your money is doing so but I do think it's just that baby step you know it's just like any change if you try to think about it wholesale it's really frightening um, but there's so many more resources out there um, to help you along the way. Thanks, yeah, as um, as Winnie said, I think education is so key. You know, I have a few friends who you know invest, you know, a little bit of money here and there, and I always tell them, you know, your pension's invested as well, and they often don't know, and it just shocks me. And then as soon as they do know, they're like, oh, I can do so much with that. So, and you know, and they're really no one's alone in this. You know, the government, the. Um, recommendations which they published yesterday, they published a survey on, alongside it, and ninety-four percent of people agree that their pension should be invested responsibly. So, I think everyone agrees. You know, let's just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I agree on that. That it's also um, it's quite often painted as something that young people need to care about because they're the ones who are going to carry the cost. Um, the reason to be cheerful is that we're now finding that people with grandchildren, the baby boomers are looking at those grandchildren and looking at their legacy. And they don't want to feel that their legacy will be a worse place for their grandchildren to grow up in. And they control huge amounts of our financial world. Um, And when they start to move, as they're beginning to move, it will mean that for millennials coming through, younger people coming through, they'll be investing alongside those big investors and that will that will be where the change comes so there's a there's a concept in finance of the wall of money uh, which is a a problem because you then got to find somewhere to put it Um, the wall of money may well be on its way and actually the the challenge is to find places to put it Um, but the you know and I think from that it's also then realizing that an investment is not like you know we might read about say bitcoin or watch wolf of wall street and think that that's what investment is um that's something that is investment but it's like thinking you know thinking it's it's that's a casino like going to a casino is an investment um no there's there's investing is is building up 
your savings, your pot that you want to use in the future. And that seems like a great note to bring this episode to a close on. Investing is about the future and now both as individuals and as society we have more information, more control and therefore more responsibility to think about what we want that future to be. And so our choices really count who we have our current account with or our ISA, where our pensions are invested and what we're doing to help secure the future of our planet. Thank you to our speakers and of course our listeners. We hope you feel more informed and that we've stimulated some brand new thinking. This episode of Brand New Thinking was recorded in the pod at White City Place. It was brought to you by Polly and Bruce Davis, Lauren Peacock, Seb Bilo, Whitney Thomas, and it was presented by Sean Davies and Sophie Lawrence.